tombstone. Get your tombstone here. Tombstone. Hey, lady. Could I interest you in a tombstone? No, thanks. It's a great idea to plan ahead. Then your children don't have to pay for it. It is a good idea, but I don't have much money right now. Well, I've got just the thing for you. I use tombstone. No, I really don't want to. Wait a minute. A used tombstone? Yeah. I'll give it to you for half price. Okay, I'm not buying this. You don't have a used tombstone. Why aren't you buying it? It's a good deal, and I do have a used tombstone. No, I don't mean that I'm not buying your tombstone. I'm not buying your gimmick. Well, I'm not selling a gimmick or whatever you just said. Are you saying that you are buying this tombstone? No, I'm not saying I'm buying anything. I'm just not buying the line about selling a used tombstone. I'm confused. What's all the excitement about? Oh, this vendor is willing, trying to sell a used tombstone. Yeah, and it's going cheap. Really? How much? Half price. Hey, I'm interested. What's it made of? Marble. You know, you shouldn't take this stuff for granted. <laughs> really? Really? That was just a little tombstone humor. <laughs> you can't be serious. You're not really considering this, are you, Callie May? Why not? It's always good to plan ahead. There's nothing wrong with it, is there? Well, it does have someone else's name on it. Someone's name? Whose name? Jesus. You mean that preacher from Nazareth? He was crucified the Friday before last. Yeah, I know. I asked me. I mean, they asked me to make a tombstone for them. So why isn't it at his grave right now? It should be. I dragged this heavy tombstone all the way there and found his grave empty. Empty? I'm not buying this. Now don't you start that again. It's true. There were women who went to his grave as early as Sunday, and he was gone then already. Gone. He was killed. He can't just walk away unless someone moved his body somewhere else. That's the strange part. The Romans had put armed guards in front of his tomb and blocked the entrance with a big stone. They wanted to make sure that nobody would move his body and claim he was alive. Why? Apparently, he claimed he would rise on the third day. And they didn't want to have to kill him a second time. So, what happened to the guards and the stone? Well, the guards were babbling some story about angels appearing and Jesus coming out of the tomb alive. Can this be real? It is, I tell you. Some of his disciples have seen him alive too. I do remember. 
remember him saying he would rise on the third day. It must be true. Then you think that he is alive? Yes, it must be. He is risen. He is risen. Incredible! Jesus has risen. Let's go find the others. Okay. Wait. Oh well. I guess I can use it for a paperweight or something. Hey, wait for me. I'm coming too. Come on. This time our children will be dismissed to Children's Church. Uh, if you enjoyed that, clap your hands again. Such a strong message today, and I'm glad that we are continuing the resurrecting message. It's not just one Sunday of the year that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, because He's resurrected forever, Amen. and He's here today with us. And I'm, I'm glad and thankful for that. Our pastor is getting ready to come and bring forth the Word today. Uh, growing up as a preacher's son, I know the hard work that goes into preparing a message. Um, each and every week. I watched my father labor for years, uh, praying countless hours and seeking God. And sometimes it wouldn't come until the night before or the day of um, that message. And so uh, I'm thankful for a pastor that comes and preaches the word the way he does. It's true. Um, it's true each day and he sticks to the word. And sometimes that may tug at our heart a little bit. It may hit the wrong way, uh, but that means it's a good message. Um, we're lifelong learners, we're growers, and that's what the spiritual message each week is about, for us to grow in Christ. And so, welcome our pastor today and pray for him today as he brings forth the word. Thank you, Chris. <clears throat> this morning, it looks like a strange title. You'll see how it ties into the book of James, I think. Why? Attitude is important. Do you believe attitude is important? I think you'll see today that it indeed is. We're going to talk about attitude for just a few moments as I begin this message today. Um, attitude is defined from Webster's Dictionary. Now, I, I used to kind of get amused every time a pastor would start his sermon with definitions. Um, Sometimes irritated, actually. But there's a reason I want to do this today, because we're going to go to another definition in a moment. But if you look in Webster's Dictionary, the definition of attitude is a feeling or way of thinking that affects a person's behavior. You read that again. Think through that with me. An attitude is a feeling or way of thinking that affects a person's behavior. That's true, isn't it? But then there's a whole list of definitions to the word attitude. And when I got down to number five, it's the one I really want to share with you and focus on for just a few moments. The position of an aircraft. Now, this is straight from the dictionary. The definition for attitude, the position of an aircraft or spacecraft determined by the relationship between its axes and the difference or the, the reference datum as the horizon or a particular star. Now, I'm going to take just a, a few moments to, to explain that a little bit as we move into the word this morning. But back in 1978, there was a television show that was uh, begun... On Saturday evenings, if I recall, 
And the name of it was Fantasy Island. Does anybody remember Fantasy Island? And there was a little guy named Tattoo who at the opening of the show every week would say what? Oh, you guys are good. And that's been from 1978. The plane, the plane, as he'd look out and he'd see this airplane coming with the guest on it and everything was going to unfold about that, the storyline in that particular episode. Well, I've decided to use the plane as, um, as an illustration this morning, um, to, and use what was on the, the, the definition there on the screen. The position now, The position of an aircraft determined by the relationship between its axes and the reference datum as the horizon or a particular star. Now, what that simply means is this. We're going to break it down into into very, very simple English by looking at this illustration. If this plane is flying like this... Nose down. You can see the nose. Incidentally, if you don't know anything about airplanes, this is the nose and this is the tail of an airplane. Okay, if the airplane is flying and it's nose down, that's its attitude. Okay, you with me? Its attitude can be nose down. Its attitude could be that it's flying parallel to the ground or level. Or its attitude could be nose up. An airplane can fly this way. Now, you might not understand why attitude is important when it comes to an airplane. But here's something I want us to understand. That attitude always determines altitude. Think about that. Attitude always determines altitude. Now, here's the deal. If this airplane is flying with this attitude nose down, it is theoretically impossible for this airplane to gain attitude with the nose down. It it won't happen. It won't work. In order to gain uh, altitude, the plane has to change its attitude and go nose up. And then it can begin to gain altitude. As long as the nose is down on the airplane, if that's the attitude of the plane, if that was never changed, now think with me for just a moment. If the, if it's going nose down, if that's the attitude of the plane and it keeps on going and keeps on going and keeps on going, what's it going to do? It's going to crash and burn, right? That's what's going to happen to an airplane if it doesn't change its attitude. That is, if, unless they'd level it out next to the ground and make a, a normal landing. But if the, if the attitude is nose down and that is maintained, it's not going to lead to something good at all. What we want to see If you're on an airliner and you're flying to Paris and you're going across the ocean, you don't want to see this, do you? No, not at all. You want to see this. You want to continually be going up, up until you get about 30, 35,000 feet maybe. And you want to go all the way across the ocean before you ever see that nose begin to drop. And then you come in for a normal landing. Are you with me on that? The attitude determines your altitude. Now, that's not just true when it comes to airplanes. That's also true when it comes to people. Our attitudes determine our altitude. If we walk around all the time nose down, negative, pessimistic, depressed, complaining, if that's the way we go through life, nose down, we're never going to be able to rise above all of that junk and be a happy Christian. 
But if we can learn that the, the junk around us does not have to affect our attitude. And James is going to warn us about that. That's why I'm taking the time to explain this. Because this is the message in the book of James. You need to be careful if you're a Christian. Can everybody say a brother? We're going to come back to that word later. But if you're a brother or a sister, the, the, the scripture says brethren. But in that case, the brethren includes the sistren. Okay? The men and the women, the boys and girls, male to female, all God's people would be lumped under the brethren there. If you are a child of God, the Bible wants us to understand, James wants us to understand that we don't, we cannot go through life with the wrong attitude and ever expect for Jesus to be constantly resurrecting us or lifting us up. Listen, here's a, another thing that's very important. Do you know who controls your attitude? You do. Nobody else can control your attitude but you. You can be going through the worst thing imaginable. I mean, people people go through all kinds of problems in this life. Amen? I mean, tires go flat, engines blow. You have to take your truck to the place and fix some silly computer at a cost of $1,035. And, and the same week your dryer goes out and there's $138 to repair the dryer. Stuff happens, doesn't it? Now, if you want to, you can let that stuff bother you and you can go through the week depressed and, and depressing everybody else around you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Your attitude affects your altitude. So if we get our attitude right, you can go through life when bad things happen with a good attitude, looking toward heaven, magnifying the Lord, keeping your eyes on Christ. You can go right on through that and sail right through it and everything will be lovely. Amen. Doesn't necessarily change your circumstances, but it changes your psyche. It changes your attitude. It changes your emotions. Now I heard something a good while back that has always stuck with me. I think it's powerful. You have no control over what happens to you. But you have total control of what happens in you. Do you get that? You don't have control of any bad thing that may happen to you later today or tomorrow or the next day. It's coming. Nothing you can do about it. We can't keep bad things from happening to us, can we? Those things come from time to time. So I can't control what might happen to me, but I can control how I react to that thing. I can control what happens in my heart and my mind as those things come my way. I can let it destroy my day and destroy my week and destroy my whole outlook on life. Remember the story I told you about the cheese on the man's mustache? And he said, took a deep breath. He says, oh, the whole world stinks. And that's the way we get sometimes. And some people's theme song then becomes gloom, despair, and agony on me. And it's not because things are so bad in their life. Things may not be as bad in their life as their neighbor's life. But their life, their neighbor's walking around with a smile on their face. And they're whining about some little something that happened that makes everybody around them miserable. Am I telling the truth? So, now believe it or not, James wants to address that. He wants to teach us because James, when you read through the book of James, James doesn't get involved in the doctrine of justification and, and adoption and, and he doesn't deal with all these deep theological concepts like Paul does. James comes along and he's talking about, he goes where the rubber meets the road. 
how we're supposed to live. He wants us to know how we're supposed to live and that we can live in a way that pleases the Lord. So when we get to the book of James, the first thing, there's three areas of concern that he's going to address that we're going to deal with today. The first one is your attitude in trials. Your attitude in trials. Anybody ever heard of trial, trouble? I don't mean go to court trial. I mean difficulty trial. You know, it's a hard time you went through difficulty. We all have trials, don't we? Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have trouble. That's what Jesus said. But be of good cheer if I overcome the world. So we're going to go through trials. But James is going to talk to us about our attitude in trials. And then he's going to talk to us about our attitude towards different people groups. And then he's going to talk to us about our attitude with individuals, maybe when conflict arises. So we're going to deal with those three things in short order this morning. The first of those being our attitude and trials. Notice on James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, and it's on the screen for you for your convenience. My brethren, there it is again, my brethren. I'm talking to my Christians now. My brothers and sisters in the Lord. He says, my brethren, count it all what? Joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, does that sound counterintuitive to you? It doesn't sound like something you might have expected him to say. Or then again, maybe we would. Because the natural thing to do, the carnal thing, the fleshly thing, the human thing to do, is not to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, but to do what when you fall into various trials? To complain or get down or get depressed. Okay, Paul doesn't address, or excuse me, James doesn't address those. James says, my brethren, when things don't go your way, when your faith is being tried, when you go through difficult times, when it's hard for you to face the next day, any of these things, when these things happen, Paul says, when you fall into various trials, count it all joy. Wow. See, you, you, you have to guard your attitude. You have to guard how you think. When you're going through hard times, the natural thing is to get down, to lash out, to lose your faith, to quit going to church, blah, blah, blah. We can make a whole list. We've all seen it and done it. Not those things. That's not how we're supposed to respond. We're not supposed to feel forsaken. We're not supposed to feel like God has let us down. We're not supposed to assume the posture of nose down going through life. But we're then to supposed to look up to the Lord and count it all joy. I remember Abraham Lincoln, uh, a saying I've used at Thanksgiving over the years comes to mind where they ask Abraham Lincoln on Thanksgiving what he had to be thankful for. He had been robbed the day before. And he goes through this explanation. He said, well, I think the, I'm thanking God today because, uh, first of all, um, wh- when they robbed me, they didn't get much. <laughs> and, and, and when they robbed me, they didn't harm me. And he went on and made a whole, he was looking at the bright side of the picture, even though he'd been robbed the day before giving thanks. Listen, we determine how we think and what we want to focus on when trials and difficulties come into our lives. Amen? We determine that. We make up our minds how we're going to think and respond to the things that come our way. So Paul says, my brethren, count it all joy. 
when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, and every one of us are going to go through testings with our faith. We all do. We all will. But we're supposed to count it all joy. We don't feel forsaken. We don't feel like we've been treated badly by God. We don't feel like that, that, that we've got it any worse than anybody else. I got news for you folks. We're all in the same boat. We're human. We all have problems. We think ours are worse than anybody else's. They're not. All of us have problems of different shapes and types and at different times. We all struggle with different things. We all have our difficulties. But the attitude we're supposed to have as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God is to count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How many remember the scripture says that all things work together for good to them that love God who are called according to his purpose? Anybody remember that? That means that God can take anything that comes into our life and work it for our good. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that came to mind yesterday. And I want to kind of use it as an illustration. Don't worry, I'm not going to throw it. The scripture says, how many have ever heard the phrase the scripture says, iron sharpeth iron? Iron sharpens iron. It's in the Old Testament. Iron sharpens iron. And it's in the context of difficulties coming our way and God doing things in our lives to help us grow. Well, the picture is kind of like this. You take this steel anvil. You You know what an anvil is. You take this steel anvil, you've got it in front of a great big heavy iron or steel or some type of metal, great big thing that you hammer on. Okay, and then you take, think westerns in the, in, in the old TV westerns where they're shoeing a horse. They take the horseshoe out of the fire, right? And they hold it over this anvil. And then they take this hammer and they beat on that thing, right? They're, they're hammering iron, hitting iron. And the scripture says that iron sharpens iron. What we need to understand in our lives sometimes is that when the heat is applied in our lives, God really wants to actually do something during that time when we're going through that trial. He wants us to get tougher. He wants us to get sharper. He wants us to get more patient. He's doing something in our lives. And when we draw back and we think we're being ripped off by God, He's treating us unfairly. We fail to understand the process through which He's taking us and what he may want to do in our lives by going through this difficult time. So we understand when trials come, when tests come, when hard times come, it's not that God's forgotten us. He's going to use this thing. I didn't say he always sends those things, but he will always use those things to cause something good to come out of it in our benefit. We can learn lessons. We can, we can be Touched by the Spirit of God in such a way that we grow and mature as a result. So we don't get down. We don't start cursing. We don't start turning against people. We don't do any of that stuff. We understand that when trials come our way, the Lord is using that to perfect us, to grow us up, to mature us, to give us patience so that we can become more like Jesus Christ the Son. Amen? That's what he wants from us. So we have to be careful. Now, you and I both know over the years, I have done it. 
Probably you have done it. I have gone through hard times and I didn't particularly handle it well. Anybody else guilty of that? Been there, done that. Okay. So I'm not saying I'm perfect or anybody else is perfect. I'm saying the scripture says to all of us that we need to be careful about our attitude. That when things get hard in our life, we don't fly nose down. Because if you fly nose down and you don't change that trajectory, what's going to happen? You're going to crash and burn. And my point today behind this sermon and behind leaving this cross up from Easter Sunday is because I want us to understand from the time we come to Jesus and we get saved, we live the rest of our life in the shadow of the cross. We live under the shadow of the cross. I, I never, if I'm a Christian, I never leave the shadow of the cross. Everywhere I go, the resurrected Savior is with me. Everywhere I go, I need to remember the cross of Jesus and what he did for me. We live under the shadow of the cross until the day we die. It impacts how we react to people. It impacts how we live. It impacts how we think. And because... Because, listen, not only is the tomb empty, the cross is too. There's no Savior hanging on the cross. And that's why when we put up a cross, we don't put a Jesus on it. Because Jesus came off the cross. And we don't leave a tomb somewhere like this. Because Jesus rose from the dead and doesn't need one. He is a risen Savior. But we never get away from what Jesus did on the cross for us. And we can never forget it on any day of the week in any area of our lives. We have to make sure our attitude is right when we're going through trials. And that would be nose up, not nose down. Always looking up, always, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Always being thankful, always, always depending on the Lord. Well, the next area of concern, that's attitude and trials. We have to be careful about that. The next area that we need to be concerned about is our attitude with people groups. Now, you may think that prejudice is is a modern day Occurrence that happens only in America. May I tell you that that's not true at all. There's always been prejudice. I tend to believe that most all people groups tend to see themselves as being God's favorite. I would imagine all over the world, wherever you go, they would never see themselves as being the least among God's people. They'd see themselves as being, well, the Lord made me. Like this, and I'm proud of my heritage, and and that's a wonderful thing. You know that. What we need to understand is that God made us all. Like the children sing sometimes, maybe we could be reminded of red and yellow, black and white. All are precious in His sight, but it's not all about skin color, and it's not all about language. Uh, did anybody notice that that Eddie was not here today? I, I noticed it wasn't Eddie. It was a it was a Hispanic dude over here talking. Did you all catch that? And the Lord loves all people groups. If you have a PhD or 10 PhDs, God loves you. If you never graduated, like they used to say in some of the TV programs, past the fifth grade, God loves you too. If your income is six figures or more, God loves you. If you're getting food stamps, God loves you. Amen? Amen. 
If you live in the rich part of town, God loves you. If you're living under a bridge in a cardboard box, God loves you. So we have to make sure, folks, we don't look down on any other people group. No other group are we higher than they are. We're all creation of God, and only by the grace of God are we where we are anyway. Amen? So then, then James, now remember, this is not theology. This is not hard to understand. This is just practical Christian living that James talks to us about. And this is what he says in James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. My brethren, there it is again. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel... And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and became and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, it's wrong to look down on people. It's wrong to differentiate between people about who you have the ability to be kind to or not be kind to. It would be, it would be showing partiality to, let's go to Walmart in our minds. Well, let's don't go to Walmart because they got automatic doors. Let's go to somewhere they don't have automatic doors. Now, myself, I usually, if I go to a door at the same time as someone else, what do you think I probably do? I reach in and I grab the door. It doesn't matter to me if it's a male or female. It doesn't matter. If, I'm not pleased. I'm not, this is not bragging. I'm just giving an illustration. I just have a habit of doing this. I don't care if it's male or female, black or white, young or old. I'm going to grab that door if I can and hold it open. And let my wife pass and whoever's with me pass. And then I'll go in last. Doesn't matter where they're from. They can be Chinese, Japanese, Korean. I don't care. It doesn't matter. But you know what? There are people who would show partiality, aren't they? But we're not to be that way. You see, we have to keep our attitude right. Because all people need Jesus. The prisoner, the drug addict, the alcoholic, the prostitute, the um, bank robber, you name it. The person from any place on earth, all people need Jesus. And as brethren or sistren, we do not ever have a right To turn our nose up or down or in any way ignore or minimize or make any other human being feel less than we are. Because they're just as much God's creation as we are. Amen? So, the scripture continues. This time, James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Just a few more verses that follows along the same line. If I love the way this is worded. If you really fulfill the royal law, 
Now, that really could have been left it out, and it would have been fine if you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures. But it says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Incidentally, be honest with me, is that not a tough one to really fulfill? To love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, you're going to take care of self, aren't you? Oh, come on. You know you're going to take care of number one. And the scripture really says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And James 2, 8 and 9 says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law. As transgressors. Well. All people groups. Are created by God. And we need to be careful that we don't show partiality. If you believe that would you say amen. Amen. Now we're going to go to the last category. That of. Of our dealings with. Individuals not people groups. But individuals. And some things that. Have the potential of arising. Where we have conversations. And where we talk. I could make a point here by asking everyone here to stick your tongue out at me, but I won't do that. But for the next few moments, James is going to be talking about the tongue. Do you know that James says the tongue is a real problem? James says the tongue is a real problem. A massive problem. A big problem. And without reading everything that he said, James 3 verses 5 and 6, I want to read some of it. James says, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. Each one of these phrases I want to talk about for just a moment. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? How many over the last 30 days have seen those news stories out in California where there were hundreds of homes that were burned? I mean, forest fires miles across. Several of them, maybe a dozen of them all at one time in different parts of the state. And hundreds of people, hundreds of people losing their homes and the wind blowing 80 miles an hour and it's dry and there's no way they can stop these fires. It's just out of control and billions of dollars in in property was lost and even lives. Forest fire is an awful thing. A raging inferno that gets out of control. That's what Paul says. He says, see how great a forest, a little fire kindles? It's so small you think nothing of it. But boy, when it gets out of control and the winds start to blow it, it just is so destructive. And, and James says, and the tongue is a what? The tongue is a fire. He says, the tongue is a, and this is interesting to me. He says, the tongue is a world of iniquity. I pondered that quite a bit this week. The tongue is a world of iniquity. Not just a coffee cup full of iniquity. (laughs) Not a five gallon bucket full of iniquity. He says, the tongue is a world of iniquity. It has a, a world of its own. 
It is so destructive and so big and so massive, the power of the tongue. And, and he, say, he goes on to say, and the tongue, it defiles the whole body. Now think about that one for a minute. I thought about that. Man, you can, you can be, you can be holiness personified in the way you look. I mean, from head to toe, you can look like you're holy. You know what I mean? And then open your mouth and reveal the fact, according to scripture, that the tongue defiles the whole body. It can ruin everything. And then the Bible says, and and these next couple, these are really hard hitting. The Bible says that the tongue sets on fire the course of nature. The tongue sets on fire the course of nature. That is the normal order of things and the way they function. How many of you like it when things go smoothly? You know, when things go like things are supposed to go. Is that good? Say amen. But the tongue comes around and destroys that. It destroys the course of nature. It destroys the natural order of things and the way things ought to be by nature. And just call, wreaks all kinds of habit and destruction just because of what is said. I didn't say that. James said that. James says that the tongue defiles the whole body and it sets on fire the course of nature. Listen, six months ago, there were no fires in California. Six months ago, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of homes that were standing going life as normal, just like everyday normal life. And then these fires came in and wiped their homes out and destroyed them. Yeah, the tongue is like a fire. It sets on fire the course of nature. And here's one that's really revealing. And and this is the Bible. This is not Ron Briston's opinion. This is the Bible. The Bible says, and the tongue now, it is set on fire by hell. Do you all see that's in your Bible? Think about that. That is strong language, isn't it? The tongue is set on fire by hell. Now that teaches me that there is a spirit that can get a hold of us and we we are not being led by God. We're being influenced by Satan. The tongue is set on fire by hell. As a matter of fact, this continues by going on to say in verse 8, the Bible says the tongue, it is, well, first of all, unruly. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you love unruly children because I know we do. Our children are unruly sometimes and we love them. Amen. But now, let me ask you this. How many of you love being around unruly children? Not many. And the Bible says that the tongue is an unruly evil. You can't control it. And it's full of what? The tongue is full of deadly poison. Listen, your tongue can kill. Your words can kill. Your words can destroy people. James 3 verse 17. The scripture says, but the wisdom that is from above. Now we just talked about a moment ago that James says the the tongue is set on fire by hell. 
Now he gives a contrast a few verses later. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, and then it's peaceable, and then it's gentle, and then it's willing to yield, and it's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, doesn't show favoritism, and it's without hypocrisy. James chapter 4 verse 11, he says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. In James 5 verse 9, he says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Now notice, please, we've used the word brethren quite a bit today, haven't we? We have a responsibility to guard our attitude. And we have a responsibility to guard our words because we're brethren and we live under the shadow of the cross. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ wherever we go. We don't always say what comes into our mind. We don't always react how we feel. We guard ourselves. We determine, we choose what our attitude is. Remember the attitude, the airplane? You determine that yourself. You de- it doesn't matter how bad it gets. You still determine your attitude. We have that responsibility as Christians. Well, in a manner of speaking, we live life in the shadow of the cross every single day. Now, last Sunday, we talked about the resurrection, with it being Easter Sunday, right? And we acknowledge that, yes, Jesus rose from the dead, and that there is a resurrection that awaits us also. True? But then we backed up a little bit and gave recognition to the lyrics of that song where we were singing a few moments ago. I think it's such a wonderful lyric. I want to read it to you. It says, by your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. How? The resurrected king is resurrecting me. In your name, I come alive to declare your victory. How? The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Yes, he's going to resurrect your body from a grave one day. Yes, he's going to do that. But he also, listen to this. He wants to, he wants to pick you up. He wants to elevate you. He wants to pull you out of your junk. He wants to help you be a better person. He wants you to grow in Christ. He wants to resurrect us right now to be more than we've ever been. Did Jesus not look at the disciples one day and he says, I give to you abundant life. Now we know we have eternal life. Amen. But when Jesus said abundant life, he was talking about something different than eternal life. I'm excited about eternal life. I'm excited about the resurrection, the resurrection of this body. I'm excited about that. But you know what? I'm really excited. Because like I said last week, I can't experience the resurrection unless the rapture comes until I die. 
That's why I think probably we don't get real excited about the resurrection. But here's something you can get excited about. If you're going through life, and this is the way you're going, and if you don't know Jesus, this is the way you're going through life right here. Nose down. And if you don't change your attitude, your trajectory, and allow the Lord to turn your life around where you have this attitude, again, what happens if you don't change and you keep going? You're going to crash. There's a lot of people in our world today whose lives have crashed because they're flying nose down and they would never change their attitude and look to the Lord and trust in Him. Amen? There is a couple scriptures I want to read before I bring this to a close today. The Bible teaches us in first excuse me, second Corinthians chapter three, beginning at verse seventeen. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's a song we've sung years past that says, From glory to glory, He's changing me. Changing me, changing me. He's changing me. If I'm a Christian, if I'm a brother, if I'm in the kingdom, if I'm listening to him, I promise you, he's changing me. And he's, as we were singing a little while ago, he's taking us up to higher ground. I hope you were listening to the words of that song. We just didn't sing that to to fill in time. I do want to read a verse to you. Second verse of that song says, My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Don't you ever think for one minute you're supposed to stay like you are right now. The Lord wants to resurrect us. In fact, He is resurrecting me. He's lifting me up. He's teaching me. He's guiding me. He's changing me from glory to glory. He'll do the same thing for you as we yield to Him. And there's one final scripture I want to share with you before we sing a little song together. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, reaching forward to those things which are ahead i press toward the goal for the prize of the listen to this new king james version says i press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call the upward call of god in christ jesus did you know he's calling us up i'm not talking about the rapture yet that's that's for the future he's calling us up He's calling us higher. He wants us to go up with Him. He wants to be resurrecting us, lifting us up, lifting us higher, giving us more faith, helping us have more 
more control over our thought processes and our attitude. He wants us to get our mind right. He wants us to speak right, to act right, to live right. We're living under the shadow of the cross every day of our life. And everywhere we go, we're representing Him. We've got to do this better than we've ever done it before. Amen? Is it not true that it's time for the church to come alive? Time for the church to be the church. Time for Christians to stand up and make a difference. He wants to resurrect us. Oh my goodness. I think about the valley of dry bones. And the Lord looked at the prophet and said, can these bones live? I want to tell you, these bones are going to live. Amen. These bones are going to live. The Lord wants to raise us up. Not only does he want to forgive us our sins. And he does that, but he wants to lift us higher, draw us nearer, and be more real to us than he's ever been. Would you stand with me? I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Jesus has set me free this morning. If you bow your heads, we'll dismiss in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. Lord, we thank you for the word that you brought forth. And we know, God, that your goal and your desire is for us to move upward onto that higher ground. So, Father, I pray that as we leave today, Father, and we go our separate ways, that we would carry this anointing forth and that we would have a positive impact on others this week. Father, bring us back and keep us safe until that next appointed hour, Father. We give you all the glory, all the praise and honor today. For it's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great day.